being our passage of Scripture this morning will be Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. The words will also be on the screen above and behind me. Romans 8, 28 through 30, if you will turn there with me this morning. And the word of the Lord says this. <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Jared's going to square us away. I'm going to try my best to use this this morning as a helpful tool. Uh, There's some things I want to point out uh, so that you can see, uh, and I won't be able to actually, I don't have long enough arms, so I have long arms, I don't have that long of arms. So uh, we'll use this this morning. Uh, Hopefully it goes well, Um, so bear with me. Just a few announcements this morning. Uh, We do have a sign-up sheet in the back for a silent auction for the kids, um, for our Easter festival. So if you'll sign up for that, um, there's also, uh, there's some needs that we have. See me, see Tracy. Uh, we'll, we'll get you some more information on that. And then be uh, preparing your hearts for our Annie Armstrong um, offering. That's the Easter offering. Uh, be preparing your hearts. We will take that up, not next week, but the following week. Correct, Tracy? It's not next Sunday, it's the following Sunday. March 13th. So not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we will take up an offering uh, for that. Uh, And then this afternoon, um, the youth uh, search committee will gather. We have uh, a handful of resumes we're looking through, and we'll make some uh, calls to some of those uh, young men to begin to set up an interview process uh, this afternoon. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in to God's holy word uh, together this morning. God, your kindness overflows onto us. As Rob said, uh, it's easy, I know in my own life, for me to look uh, at the things that are not going well and miss all of your mercies, all of your uh, good kindness that you pour out onto us. You have answered many prayers that we've laid before you and your altar, and you have answered them in a kind and generous way. So we're grateful for that. We continue to ask that you would lead us, uh, that even this morning, this afternoon, as we look for a youth pastor, that you have been preparing for us, and you've been preparing them for us. And I, I just pray, God, that we would lean in on your wisdom and your direction, and that you would make it very clear who uh, the person you would have for us to, to lead our uh, youth. We, we need that desperately, God. Uh, not just us, um, but this community, these schools. Uh, they, we need ambassadors for Christ uh, in the schools. So we, we pray that you would bring us the right person. And now, God, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, uh, open our ears uh, to be attentive to your word, that you would continue to lead us and guide us as we've been going through this process of what really salvation is all about, how you have designed us and called us to be, that the journey is to get back to those 
things that you have called us to be. And so even this morning, God, we pray that your word would be proclaimed, and that your word would bring healing, help, and direction. So lead us, guide us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. All of God's children said, amen this morning. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, we're walking through this process where the, the title of this series is Recovering Redemption, that God has designed us in such a way, if we look back at how the original design was, that God had designed mankind to be in relationship with Him, relationship with themselves, and relationship with one another. And we know that sin enters the picture, and when sin enters the picture, it breaks the peace of God. Uh, it breaks all relationship with God, with myself, and with other people. And Jesus came and he, he said, I've come that you would have life and have life to the full. And what Jesus is saying is that we would come back to how God created us to be. And we've been in that process and looking at those things. This morning I want to look at the process. We're going to use some theological terms here this morning. But the process of sanctification. It's the ongoing process for us to become more like Jesus. Well, where does it start? I think a good way to illustrate it is this. I, I grew up, loved playing basketball. I wouldn't say I was a, a great basketball player. I did make my high school team. But I remember as a, a little boy, uh, I, about six, seven years old, and I was trying to learn how to do a layup. I, I didn't realize that whatever hand you're laying the ball up with, that knee is supposed to go with the hand. There's supposed to be a string attached from your elbow to your knee. If you ever played basketball, that's what your coach tells you. Well, I would be playing basketball, and it was not uncommon that my right elbow would go up and my left knee would go up. and It, it just looked like a disaster. Or I'd be shooting basketball. My coach, I remember in elementary school, he said, Hey, Todd, all you need to remember is this. If you've ever played basketball, you've heard a coach say this. He said, beef. And I was like, beef? That's what you get for dinner. But what he was saying is you have to have proper that You have to have your elbow in. You have to have your eyes focused on the rim. And you have to have a good follow through. So he taught us that over and over and over and over again. But what would I do? I'd re resort back to how I knew how to play basketball. And I would chunk it overhand. I'd do granny shots. I mean, anything to make the ball go and I was doing but my coach began to teach me over and over and over again how to have proper form. Well, in the heat of the moment, where, what would I go back to? The way I always knew how to play. That's so true in our walk with Jesus. Right? We, we get into pressure, and what happens to us under pressure is we resort back to how we've always been, as Paul would say, the old man or the carnal man. When temptation comes or Satan comes against us. We go back to how we've always done things because it's the most comfortable. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I want to train you. I want to teach you how to move in the right direction. We would call that sanctification. So this is the examination of sanctification. That's the title of this morning's message. But I want to read two passages of Scripture. Jared read the first. I'm going to get to that here in a moment. But the first one is this. This is the promise we can hold on to this morning. If you are a believer, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
sanctification is a promise for you. If you're not, we're going to get to the first part. You need what Jesus says is justification. If you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must be justified through Christ in order to have right standing with God. But if you have been justified, if you have accepted God into your heart, then you're justified, and then there's this process of what we would call sanctification. But here's what we know to be true about this idea of sanctification. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this. I'm sure of one thing, Paul says. I'm sure of this promise. This is the promise that we as believers can hold on to. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So the first thing we must know is this. Your justification is a work of God and God alone. There's nothing that you did to be justified. It's the work of God through the work of Christ in your life. That's what Jared just read. Romans 8, Paul says it this way. He says this in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. How many of us have heard that verse before? Now I want you to, I want you to see the context of where that verse is written. It's written in your salvation. We just take that verse out of context and we say, well, God works all things out for my good. No, he's saying God works all things out for your good in your salvation. Because he goes on, for those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. That's the sanctification, conformed into his image, that is sanctification, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, he being Jesus. Verse 30, for those whom he, God, predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. The process of salvation is by God and God alone. So here's what we know. This is us, this is creation, this is, God is all eternal before creation, God will always be in eternity. So we live in this mix. Some, some 2,000 years ago, Christ died for us. That is the moment that we are justified. The justification of your sin happened at the cross. It did not happen when you asked Christ into your heart. It happened in this moment, and then you were born. And you came into the world as a sinner, and it says that God, from the foundations of the world, knew you, and he called you. He called you what? To be saved, or conversion. This is where you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, accepted God into your life at conversion. But it started at Christ's death, then he said, I've known you from the foundations of the world that you would be mine. So then you get justified and adopted. Two things happen at your conversion. There's justification, that's being declared right before a holy God. 
And now not only that, but you're adopted as his sons and daughters into his family. That happens at conversion. Well, there is a promise for us that Christ will return or you'll die. It's what's going to happen in your life. That's your life. This is your life right here. You come to know Christ, and eventually either he's going to return or he's going to call you home to himself. And what happens after that is what we would call glorification. So justification is being declared right before God. Glorification, this is what the definition is. I know these are big theological words, so write them down. But glorification is the final benefit of the redemptive work of God in your life and salvation. It describes the order in which saving benefits of Christ are applied to his people. This is the moment that we will be apart from sin. So you're justified from sin, and then you will be apart from sin. But the middle section is where we live today. It's called the sanctification. You and I are in the middle of our justification and our glorification. It's the longest part of our salvation. This is the only part, hear me again, this is the only part that you and I get to hold hands with God in our salvation. We get to be in step with God in our sanctification. This is the way that Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, even as he chose us, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, so that we would what? Be holy and blameless. God chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus. He says this, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, God, lavished onto us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ Jesus. And so here's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Is that place of becoming holy and blameless. Anyone ever wanted to know what God's will for your life was? Any takers? I, I want to know what God's will. I, I hear that all the time. If I just knew what God's will for my life was, then I'd go do it. Well, Paul tells us clearly what God's will for your life is. Every one of us, if you're a believer... This is the will of God for all of us. God is not concerned about your job. God is not concerned about your spouse who you will or won't marry. God is not primarily concerned about if you'll have children or if you won't have children. This is what Paul says, the will of God. So if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, for this is the will of God. The next two words are crucial. God's will for your life is for your sanctification. God's will 
His primary will for your life, if you're a believer, is not who you're marrying, not what job you'll take, it's not where you'll live, but it's for your sanctification. That refers to the ongoing process of being purified from sin to live progressively, that means ongoing in your spiritual growth that will mark you as a believer. That is God's will for your life. That you and I will live holy and blameless. And so I asked the question this morning, are we living sanctified lives? That's God's will for our life, but that is also God's promise for our life. Because what? He who began a good work in you will what? He will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. So if he called me to something, he's going to give me what I need to live in sanctification. I, I believe Peter says it this way. You have everything you need for a life of godliness. You have everything you need. I have everything I need. We, the church, have everything we need for our sanctification. There is nothing that we lack for that because we have what the holy spirit the holy spirit has been given to us by god through christ jesus for our sanctification so how does sanctification happen in his great book john owen says this about sanctification two things must occur the first thing is this there must be mortification i know that's a big church word he wrote a book if you want to read a book it's called the mortification of sin mortification simply means this putting to death those things which rob us of our affection for christ so in god's word he says we have to put to things that are robbing us that make us holy the question you have to ask, the question I have to ask, the question as a church we have to ask, are there things in our lives, personal and collective, that we have to put to death? Here's what John Owen says in his book, The Mortification of Sin. He says this. He says this about sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Let me say that again. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So now you have to ask yourself this question. I have to ask myself at the church, is there sin in our lives? Sin is anything that is contrary to God's will for our lives. We know God's will for our lives if we know God's word. The news is not going to offer that to you. The latest pop song is not going to offer you to that they're going to tell you everything but what god's will for you is and how to put sin to death god is so clear what sin is it is black or it is white there is no gray with god and sin there's a lot of gray in our society what sin is and what sin isn't but there is no gray area with the word of god and through christ jesus what he says it is so we must ask ourselves, are we putting to things that rob us of our affections for Christ? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. 
This is how Paul says it. He gives us a list of things that we are to mortify or put to death. Paul, throughout his writings, gives lists of the things we are to put to death. Again, if our aim is sanctification, is our aim what God says his aim is for us? God's aim, remember, is your sanctification. Is my aim for my life the same as his? Paul says, if it is, this is what you must do. These are things you must put to death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Put to death or mortify, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, if this steps on toes, I'm not the one doing it. It's Paul through God's holy word. Let's take an inventory of our lives. If you're a believer this morning, is there any sexual immorality in you? Pornography, masturbation, sleeping outside of your marriage. Those are just a few examples of what sexual immorality is. Homosexuality. Then Paul says, any impurities, any thoughts that come to your mind, any passions or evil desires, any covetedness, which is idolatry. Paul says, you've got to put these things to death if you want sanctification. If we want a pure church, a pure body, we have to put these things to death. This is God's word. This is not Todd's word. This is God's word. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That ought to scare us in and of itself. God is a wrathful God. God's wrath will come on sin. Make no mistake about it. He says then, in these two you once walked. All of us in this room... If you are a believer, you once walked in these things. All of us. He says, you once walked that way when you were living in them. But now you must put away these things. You must put away these things. He now goes to the heart. He says, is there any anger in you? Is there any wrath in you? Is there any malice in you? Is there any slander in you? Is there any obscene talk in your mouths? Do not lie to one another. He's saying sexual immorality and anger, they're the same thing. Sexual immorality and idolatry, same thing. Sexual immorality and wrath. Sexual Im- He's saying all these are equal. All these rob you of your affections for God and rob you of your sanctification. Make no mistake about it. It's not some have more or less. He's saying even lying to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self and its practices. Paul tells us to put to death these things. Remember what John Owen said. If you are not killing sin, sin is killing you. 
Let's take a few seconds to do a moral inventory of our lives this morning. Anything come to mind that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to put to death? May we confess that. But then it can't stop there. If all we do in our Christian walk is to put things to death, then we'll be like Swiss cheese. We'll have holes everywhere. There'll be so many holes in your life that you've now uh, uh, alleviated sin. But Paul doesn't just say, put these things to death. He goes a step further and says this, once you put these things to death, then you and I must bring the things that will bring us life. We must put what John Owen says is vivification. That is, that I will fill my lives with the things that stir my affections for God. So I'm going to put to death those things that rob me of my affections for God. But the, the other side of that coin is now I've got to put things in my life that stir my affections for God. Because he goes on in that passage in Colossians and says it this way. He says, once you put all these things to death, he says, then what? Put on as God's chosen, holy, beloved people, put these things on. Compassionate heart. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against another, forgive one another. As God the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And then he says, if I've missed anything, you have to put this on above all things. And above all these, put on what? Love. Love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So Paul is saying to us that we put these things to death, we put these things to life, and above all of it, we're to put on love. Then what is love? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Would this be true in your life? Would this be true in my life? Would this be true in the life of the church? Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, he's saying, nobody will hear you or understand. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing if i give away all that i have and if i deliver up my body to be burned but i have not love i gain nothing and he says here this is what love is you want to stir your affections for the lord you must have love and this is what it looks like he says love is patient You can mark out the word love and put your 
name in there. You can mark out the word love and put house chapel in there. Is Todd love? Is house chapel love? If it is, then Todd is patient. Todd is kind. Todd does not envy. He does not boast. Put your name in that place. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. He goes on at the end and says it this way. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. So, church, are we putting the things to death in our life that rob us of our sanctification? Or are we putting to things in our life that push us towards our sanctification? Jesus makes it very clear we must do both. Jesus says you can't do one without the other. You can't just simply mortify the flesh and the things of the flesh. He also says you just can't put the things to life that are meant to be there. Here's how we know that. If all I do is put things, think of it as as in a garden. If I go to my garden, not that I'm a gardener, but if I go to my garden, all I do all day is I take this plot of land and I take all the weeds out of it and I don't put anything into place, what's going to end up growing back? The weeds. Or if I do the hard work of putting everything to death and take out all the weeds and have all the roundup, what am I still going to have? Nothing. The land is not going to produce tomatoes unless I do what? Put a tomato seed in the ground that I prepared for it. So think of it this way. Every sin in your life and in my life that I, with the Holy Spirit, eradicate or extract, there's a nice hole that's been made for me to put the seed of love into so that what? The seed of love can grow. Now the the reverse is true too. If I do nothing to prepare the land and I do nothing to eradicate the weeds and I put those seeds of tomatoes in that ground, what's going to happen? I'm going to have tomato plants, but what's the weed going to do? It's quickly going to come and destroy the seed that I've planted. So Jesus says you have to do both. He says it this way in Luke chapter 11. This is his parable or his analogy of doing that. If you simply just put to death the things that are meant to be put to death, but you don't put things into your life and into your heart that bring life. Jesus says this this way, And when the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passed through the waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it said, I will return to my home for which I came. And when when it returned, it finds the house swept 
and put in order. The house is now put in order, but there's nothing, there's no life in the house, Jesus says. The, the unclean spirit returns. See, the house is now in order, but there's no life in the house. What does it do? It goes out and brings seven more unclean spirits with it. And then he says this, and that they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse off than the first. Jesus says it's worse to just mortify sin. If you don't put things that bring life to your life, you're going to be worse off. So are we doing both? Are we putting the things that Christ, through Paul, told us to put to death and are bringing life to the way that Paul told us to bring life. I believe there's two major hindrances for us in our sanctification. Two major things that happen for us. Those two major hindrances for your sanctification, my sanctification, and the church's sanctification. The first is this. We'll simply just mow it over. Now, I'm not going to dog Jerry and his son that mow our grass. They do a great job. But every spring, what happens? We get a ton of weeds out there. We get a ton of four-leaf clovers out there. Those are weeds as well. Now, Jerry and his son don't have time to go out in the field and eradicate every single four-leaf clover. But what happens when they come and begin to mow the grass? They mow the grass and it looks pristine because they've mowed it over. They've eradicated the four-leaf clovers. But what happens? They grow right back. Think about dandelions. That, that the field is full of dandelions in the spring. Well, when Jerry goes and mows over the grass, he eradicates the dandelions, but they always grow back because we're not getting to the root of the problem. And so I think for us in our lives, we think if I just mow over my sin, then I'll look okay, but it always grows back because we haven't dealt with what? The root of the problem. The core issue of the problem. What is the core issue of the problem? It's I truly have not put the things to death in my life. I truly haven't dealt with my impurity, my sexual immorality. I just continue to mow over it. The second is just as dangerous and just as harmful. We either mow it over or it's what we'll do is what our mother and our father did, Adam and Eve. They covered it over. Remember what happened in their sin. It says in Genesis 3, verse 7, remember they ate of the fruit, they were naked and unashamed, there was no sin, and then in verse 7 it says this, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and what did they do? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover their sin. We either mow it over 
or we're covered over. Those are the two greatest hindrances for our sanctification. So then what do we do if we want to live the life that God has called us to? It's very clear in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I'm going to continue to point us back here every week. How do we live sanctified lives? Through one word and one word only. Repentance. True repentance. Not you're sorry you got caught. Not you'll try harder next time. Not, it's not that bad. True repentance. True repentance is this. I was headed this way. I saw what I was doing was wrong. And I repented, and by the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, I'm now going to head this way. And I'm not turning back. That is true repentance. Proverbs says it this way. I wonder if this would be true for us as a whole here at Powell's Chapel. We want to prosper, do we not? I mean, we got no takers on that one. Like, ah, we're good. Let's just go along to get along. We want to prosper, correct? The writer of Proverbs tells us how to prosper. He says, whoever conceals his transgressions or his sins will not prosper. Saying, if you don't deal with your sin, you don't deal with the things that aren't making you like Jesus, you will not prosper. You will not become sanctified. Don't conceal your trespasses any longer. Then he says this. But he or she who confesses, that's telling it out loud, and forsake, that's the repentance part, turning from. So I got to confess it and I got to forsake it or turn from it. God's word says that you will obtain mercy, forgiveness, sanctification. So this morning, I'm going to read those two passages of putting the things in my life, your life, the church's life, that bring death. And I'm going to say, what is it that we're putting into those places that bring us life? What robs us of our affections and what stirs us of our affections? Let me read the verses again. This is what it means to put the things to death. Put to to death, therefore, what is worldly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old and its practices. Therefore, put on them as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May we be a church, and may we be a people that would not conceal our transgressions so that we wouldn't prosper. But again, as I said last week, we be a place that we can have honest confession without judgment, without condemnation. How do we have a place like that? Through one word. Paul said, to love one another. The only way for us to have a place of confession and repentance, that people are really going to get honest, we would love one another the same way that Christ loved us. Church, may we no longer conceal our sin, but may we confess them and forsake them so that we may obtain the mercies of God. Let me pray for us this morning.